Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. It is Thursday, February the 11th, and starting Tuesday, you may be able to head to the slopes again. We'll tell you what you can expect at your local resort, but first. Yesterday, the, the provincial government announced that 95% of long-term care residents who've agreed to be vaccinated have been inoculated. So that's good. And the number of new COVID cases were 1,072, indicating we are bending the curve. And then, of course, Monday... The following regions, or every region but Peel, York, and Toronto will be moving into the reopening COVID framework. And so this second wave, it actually might be coming to an end. So what's this I'm hearing about a third wave? Colin Furness is an expert in infectious disease epidemiology from the University of Toronto, and he joins us to talk about it. Colin, welcome to the show. Good morning. Colin, you say that we're headed for not only a third wave, but an ugly third wave. Can you let us uh, know what you're talking about here? Absolutely. And let me start by saying that I really hope I'm wrong. And, and you know, fingers crossed I am. The concern here is the contagious variants. And if we look at how things played out in the UK and in Ireland and in a few other places as well, things were coming down. Um, people had pe- peaked. You know, the current wave had peaked. This is what waves do. Uh, cases were coming down. And then all of a sudden they shot way, way, way up higher than they'd been before. And this is because the contagious variants are able to overwhelm the kinds of restrictions that were in place. So there's a lot we don't know. We don't know whether the contagious variants will behave quite the same here. We don't know whether perhaps our restrictions might be a little bit more robust than they've been elsewhere. But unless something really big changes, it seems to me that what happened, what's happened elsewhere is going to happen here too. And the United States, by the way, we're kind of lockstep with them. They might be a little bit ahead. So I'm looking very carefully over the next several weeks to see what happens there. Colin, you were talking about how waves peaked and then the numbers start coming down. Um, did the numbers start coming down in your opinion here in Ontario? Is that because of the stay-at-home order and, and the lockdown we've been going through? It's that, and it's also the fact that uh, this disease, communicable diseases, uh, really contagious ones, do move in waves. They they inhabit or they 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 find their way into local populations, and they do their thing, and then they subside again. If there were no restrictions at all, then it would be a little bigger, perhaps a lot bigger. So it's it's both. It's the things that we did, and it's also the fact that waves happen regardless. You know, when we first started talking about this, Colin, you said you hope you're wrong. You're not basing this on on a hunch here. Um, You're also basing this on modeling. Can you tell us what the modeling is pointing to uh, with the UK strain in March? Yeah, well, I've seen modeling. I've seen modeling projections for Ontario, and there's a big giant curve that starts around the beginning of April. Models are always uh, based on assumptions, right? They can only reflect back what we put in, and when we have unknowns, we make assumptions. And so the mo- models are one one likes to say never correct, but they can certainly be very useful in telling us what might happen. And there are some things that we could do. Uh, to try and blunt this third wave. Some of the things we've said we're going to do, but it's going to be hard to to deliver on. And that has to do with being very aggressive around uh, testing, doing the genomic analysis to figure out who positive, which positive cases are variants and being very aggressive with isolation and contact tracing. We said we're going to do that. That's a tall order. Right. Um, Now you're saying that this, this wave, this third wave, uh, it's, it's, your thinking is inevitable. You've you called it the big one and ugly. Can you get a little more specific on, on what you mean by big one and ugly? 
I really mean the number of cases. And the more cases you get, the more risk you have to your healthcare system. So our healthcare system has not yet broken. It got pretty close in the second wave. Well, if the third wave produces a curve that's way higher, and we got very close to overwhelming our healthcare systems, you know, we had emergency room doctors talking about triage rules. Uh, this is the worst nightmare for any uh, any global healthcare system to say we might might have to make some decisions about who gets treatment and who doesn't because we don't have enough space. To me, that's ugly. That's as ugly as it gets. We came close. My fear is that we will we will actually hit that with this wave. So if we hit that with this wave, you anticipate that we'll have to shut our schools again, get ready for another lockdown? In the UK, they were able to contain this contagious variant by closing schools, by instituting severe restrictions. It's hard to compare because I think their restrictions were less. Uh, they, they had fewer restrictions in place when the variant took hold than we do. So in a sense, we might be in better shape. And that's when I started by saying, I hope I'm wrong. Wouldn't it be great if it turns out that we were already doing enough already? That's possible. I just don't think it's likely. Okay. So are we, in your opinion, going in the wrong direction, um, opening up schools right now and reopening, you know, the economy? Well, we're only going to know the answer to that in hindsight. And I'm, I'm really of two minds. Right now, we are relatively safe. Cases are dropping. It makes sense to put kids in school where they need to be. It makes sense to allow people's livelihoods to resume to the extent that we can. Lockdowns are very painful. We decided to do lockdowns instead of controlling transmission, which I think is a is a, a terrible burden on people. And so I'm the last one to say that we need to stay locked down because I think they're so awful. Mm -hmm. uh, what we, I think we need to do is be very cautious, watch the signs, measure carefully, and when things start to go back up, to not hesitate. And this has been Ontario's failure: is it has hesitated, uh, it has dithered instead of instead of moving with alacrity. So I think if we start to see the contagious variants multiply dangerously, then we need to move very quickly to close. But I, I don't think that we should all stay hunkered down. I think that's that's already done enough harm. And to the extent that we have a relatively safe period right now, we should be taking advantage of it. Well, hopefully the uh, Ford government is learning from its past mistakes because they have inserted that emergency break that they can hit at any time and move uh, you into a stage of lockdown, you being a region. Well, that's, I mean, that's certainly helpful. Um, I think they've, they've realized that they do need to move more quickly, but what's not happening is the kind of surveillance testing that we need in order to control transmission. Are you we, talking we also rapid testing? Big, uh, whether it's rapid or not. What you need to do is test, not because people look sick, but test where you know there's risk. So we, we should be testing all kids before opening schools. We should have been testing servers last summer and fall in order to understand transmission dynamics there. We should be testing aggressively among home care nurses. We should be testing all kinds of occupations where there's significant risk, where there's contact with the public, as well as, of course, curtailing air travel, which is something that the federal government has done, unfortunately, a little bit late. Had they moved more quickly there, too, we would be certainly in better shape. And in fact, if we had stopped air travel and we didn't have the contagious variants here, I would be really optimistic about the next few months. So it really does hinge on that. It seems like uh, when you bring up air travel, it seems like we're headed in the right direction, you know, with uh, mandatory testing and three day, um, you know, a three day quarantine at uh, a facility. I think there they just has to be one of the, the government um, chosen facilities uh, and hotels around the airport, especially after hearing about this guy who came back. He's he's COVID positive. He's from, from Stratford, flew into Toronto and tried to pass himself off with a negative COVID test. How worrying is that for you? 
it's worrying. You don't need too many people to get through, either through deception or just bad luck, uh, to get through to be positive in order to cause trouble. One contagious variant getting off the plane will turn into two to four to eight and then hundreds and then thousands. So, no, that, that's extremely concerning. Uh, if we look at data from Calgary Airport from December, to get on. They still had 1.4% people testing positive as they got off the plane. A week later, 0.7% people testing positive again. That tells me that there's been transmission on the airplane as well as the airplanes faring COVID. Statistically speaking, every plane has COVID on it now, right? But just just in terms of just in terms of probabilities, every plane's got COVID. So you've got some transmission risk. And obviously, people are still going to test negative, and you've got people incubating, and then sometimes people being deceptive. Air travel is really dangerous, and air travel is, the third wave is an air travel-driven wave, no question. That's interesting. Uh, Dave Bradley from our Global Newsroom has uh, received some information that Stephen Lecce, our um, education minister, is speaking at 2 o'clock today, expected to mention in that 2 o'clock presser uh, if March break is actually going to happen. What are your thoughts on March break? Well, the, the, I think the reasoning for wanting to do something about it, delay it or move it, has primarily to do with trying to discourage people from traveling. And I think discouraging people from traveling is a good idea. Whether canceling March break achieves that, I, you know, people who want to travel right now, I think, feel entitled or live in a certain sense of denial. Uh, they may just take their kids out of school and do it anyway. So I'm not sure that moving March break is going to help. I think teachers need a break. I think just watching teachers trying to teach online, watching kids struggling and suffering through this, I think they need a break. I would leave March break just where it is, and I would double down on trying to prevent travel. So I, that's that's the way I would handle it. You're not worried about people getting together in their homes, throwing little, uh, you know, gatherings with another close family, maybe increasing their bubble? Well, I think that already happens. That happens on evenings. That happens on weekends. And to say that moving March break is going to somehow diminish that, I don't. I, that doesn't add up to me. Um, I think we need really good public messaging. I think we need people to be really concerned about this third wave. When we talk about how case counts are coming down, that's a recipe for people to be reckless, March break or not. And and that's why I'm really trying to. I don't want to be alarmist. I don't want to terrify people. But I think I want people to have a realistic idea that there is this big lurking problem that we created, this third wave problem, and we're going to have to get through it. And I think the only thing the only thing worse than than knowing about it is is not knowing about it. Right. And you say we're you know we're constantly hearing we're all in this together. You say that testing is is the way to go. You know to make sure this third wave doesn't actually happen. Um, but what can each of us do? Do we? Is it kind of out of our hands, or, or you know, people listening right now that could be worried about it or want to avoid it? Clearly, we all want to avoid it. Um, what should we be doing? Well, some don't. I mean, some people are just in firm denial, and and it doesn't take many to actually really, I think, make people very unsettled. Yeah, but our if you're in denial, measures- I gotta just throw this in, Colin. Even if you're in denial, you don't want things to lock down again. Uh, fair. But people who are in denial simply rage against lockdowns, and I get all kinds of email and things that, that tell me how angry people are. Uh, and they're not saying that they're willing to do what it takes. So it's, it's the, the anger and the willingness to do what's necessary, I think, are somewhat separate. Look, our control measures that we're doing now will work against the third wave. We just have to make sure we do them. It's the physical distancing. It's the mask wearing. I believe we would have to close schools, which is tragic. We would have to close down workplaces. We may need a stay-at-home order again. But our fundamental approach to controlling um, physical contact is sound, and it will it will be sound for the for for this third wave as well. 
Okay, before I let you go, doubling up on masks, is that something you're recommending? No, I'm not. Um, you know, masks aren't designed to be doubled up that way. It could cause breathing issues among some. There has not been a lot of research yet. Uh, the CDC actually just released a lab study saying two masks are better than one in, in, in a lab experiment. That's not surprising, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for people. Uh, and we have to remember masks are not a shield. Masks are not what keep you safe. Masks are one of a number of things we do to stop transmission, the main one being physical distancing. So until we have more information, more data around what kind of masks can be doubled up, which ones shouldn't be doubled up, I wouldn't actually rush in that direction. All right, Colin, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. Jonathan Reed is the general manager of Horseshoe Resort. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you guys this morning? Fantastic. I'm hoping you have a, a smile on your face. I know that many hills decided to throw in the towel this year when the stay-at-home order was issued. Was this ever a question when it came to Horseshoe uh, Resort? No, no. I, uh, I I think we always looked at, uh, we were hopeful to get to get reopened, and um, we stayed sort of uh, focused on, on getting our pass holders back and, and people back on the slopes. So uh, definitely very excited to, to get going again, um, but it'll, it'll be a little different than, than operating uh, in normal years for sure. Before we get into how different it will be for people heading to the slopes, are the losses significant? Like, can you guys break even this year, do you think? Well, that's what we're hoping to do, and that's really going to depend on a, a, a few things. Um, first and foremost, uh, getting getting people out with restricted numbers. Um, there is a lot of demand, so we feel that, that we should be able to. We're looking at about a 50% loss of the season, so mm. um, people will hopefully ski a little longer but you know once that warm weather starts to come after march break uh, people shift gears and they like to be out on their bikes and in the gardens and and up to their cottages and stuff so um right now we've got a lot of snow and and best conditions we've had in a long long time so uh i think we'll see a lot of people out midweek as well how many employees are you bringing back to work uh we'll bring back close to 600 so almost our entire complement um, so we'll, we're, we're going to dive right into full peak season here. The new guidelines, uh, I'm sure are going to be, uh, very stringent that you're putting in place for reopening on the 16th. Let's talk about those. Yeah, for sure. Um, basically what's happening is, um, ski resorts are, are allowed to operate within the, the provincial framework under gray. Um, Simcoe Muskoka looks like we'll reopen at this point in, in a red within the framework. Uh, so that allows us to operate the ski hills, um, takeout and outdoor sort of dining pickup with limited indoor dining. Um, we can also operate the hotel. So um, it, it is restrictive in, in our F&B areas, for sure, our food and beverage. Um, but uh, and, and we can get a decent number of people out on the hill. So uh, we feel confident and, and safe that we can we can do this properly. You're going to have to deal, you said a decent number, but you'll be dealing with the reduced capacity on the hill. Um, how many people can, can be on the hill at, at a, a given time and how many lift tickets will be available each day? Well, basically what we've done is come up with a matrix based off of the, whether it's midweek or weekends, uh, the number of our pass holders that we have on midweek passes and then the number of pass holders that we have for weekends. So uh, to ensure that all our pass holders can ski at any time and then we have a limited number of tickets based off of the pass type that would be on the hill uh, midweek or weekend. Um, and then uh, 
And then from there, with the they actually, they have increased the volume of people that can ride the chairlift. So it, it was formerly uh, same family could ride the chairlift, and then it had to be uh, six feet apart. So that, that has been changed now to uh, every other seat on a chairlift for people that are not from the same household. So that'll increase our some of our uphill capacity. And, Sorry, um, um, just to get just get straight here, what that looks like. So does that mean like uh, you'll have a chair and then the chair will go, the next chair will go up empty, and then you'll fill a chair and the next chair will go up empty? Is that what you're talking about? No, sorry, it's the seats on the chair. So you sit on a six person chairlift. Three people can sit on that chairlift that are not from the same household. And then the next chair would be loaded with people from the same household that could fill all six seats. Okay. It's really, about, it's really about the capacity of the chair. It Definitely. It's capacity of the chair and controlling the, the crowd of the lift lines. And really, it's all about the corrals of the lift line and corralling people to stay far apart. What's going to happen with masking? Well, it's mandatory to wear a mask uh, okay. in the chairlift line and on the chairlifts. And we, we did operate in December under these conditions, and, and people were very good about it. Uh, we did have you know some people that pushed back, but uh, for the most part, everybody was masked, goggled, gloved. So that, that was nice to see. I know that change rooms and lockers aren't going to be available this season. You'll be required to arrive at the resort with your gear on, and uh, you'll have to leave your personal belongings in your car. The mayor of Collingwood is asking for people not to come to Blue Mountain unless they own property and they're prepared to stay for more than two weeks. Any word on out-of-towners with uh, regard to Horseshoe Resort and, and what local officials are saying? Well, local officials haven't said a lot about out-of-towners, but uh, I can tell you that majority of our guests that, that come to Horseshoe, uh, they will drive up drive up Highway 400, uh, pull into our parking lot. Uh, all of our services are, are outdoors um, for our rentals, ticketing, everything else. Uh, they'll ski from the day and they'll get back in their car and drive back home. They they might make a stop to, to get some gas, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, really limited transmission compared to people coming up uh, and staying overnight within the community. Okay, so uh, very quickly, what are conditions like? Because you said they're the best in a long time. We, we have record snowfall amounts uh, in the Horseshoe area. Uh, it, it's We've got all our snowmaking all for the year done. It's uh, We haven't had a mid-season thaw, which we normally have. So really and truly, we have six-foot snowbanks everywhere. And... Um, and the best conditions we've had in years. So it's, the skiing's unbelievable. All right. Well, Jonathan, I'm sure a lot of people can't wait until Horseshoe Resort opens. It will open uh, Tuesday with the rest of the area. And I wish you uh, success in, in this half of the ski season. It's been a really tough one for you guys. So all the best. Thanks very much. We're, we're excited and uh, we're very confident that we can do this uh, like the rest of the resorts uh, across North America. I've been doing it safely all year. So. Amazing. Thanks. That's Jonathan Reed, General Manager of Horseshoe Resort. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, you can tune in live. We broadcast live between Monday and Friday, 9 till noon. Get us at 640toronto.com.